HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Hello, everybody. I'm Michelle Nishan of Wholesome Wave, and I'm the guest editor this week on foodrepublic.com. So log in to the political section of Food Republic for fun, facts, great, meaty stuff, everything delicious, everything real, everything ready to go. foodrepublic.com. Thanks, Heritage Radio Network. Broadcasting live from Roberta's in Bushwick, Brooklyn, you're listening to heritageradionetwork.com. Welcome back to the Speakeasy. I'm your host, Damon Bolte. In the studio today, we have the lovely Jordana Rothman, food and drinks editor at Time Out New York, um, also contributing writer for other publications from time to time. And just a lovely, lovely person who is extremely into the cocktail scene. <laughs> Welcome to the show, Jordana. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. I'm glad that we finally got you on the show. Um, so, we just entered a new year. <laughs> Lots of exciting things are happening. Um, and one of the things I like most about uh, Time Out New York is that you you cover a lot of, I mean, it's a weekly publication Mm -hmm. which is great so you can actually like be like on it you know uh as far as like the cocktail trends and like spirits trends and different ingredients and techniques and everything um and it's always fascinating to me like because you know obviously like with the new york times you've got like once once a week maybe twice a week you know wednesday and sunday where where cocktails are actually covered so it's just a cool it's a cool thing it's like you you never get bored (laughs) with it right well, I mean, I will say that Time Out New York is increasingly, you know, it's a weekly publication, but it really has a daily pace to it. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that's as much a matter of serving our reader as it is just like, that's the pace of New York. And yeah. specifically to the cocktail and bar scene, I mean, there was a time when I was really interested in writing about cocktails and bars, and I was going to like the same experts time and time again. I mean, it was, you know... Julie Reiner and Sasha Petrosky, and they just had to be in every single story that I wrote. <laughs> and now there's just so many bars and so many people involved in the scene that, you know, it's actually kind of hard to keep up with. We manage, but yeah. um, it's just this really, it's just taken a really interesting turn and evolved in a really fascinating and exciting way over the past like two years, I would say. 
exploded. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And I like what you're saying about that too, because when you read some of these like feet like certain feature articles on like say a spirit or a certain ingredient mm-hmm. and they reference like some guy in like, you know, Saint Louis or, you know, Topeka, yeah. Kansas. <laughs> well, for us what we try to do, I mean Definitely, like, the cocktail coverage in Time Out, you know, stems a lot from my own personal interest. And, you know, I really try to be, as much as I can, you know, a You're fixture on the scene and just, you know, really take a look at what's what's going on. And for us, I think, you know, our readers are primarily interested in going out to bars and sort of, like, knowing the faces and, like, the terms and all of that. But I think they're also kind of interested, as you say, in, like, the spirits and techniques and stuff. They maybe want to try things at home. They maybe want to outfit their home bars. They want to kind of you know, bring a little bit of what they see, you know, out in the field into their own homes, which is super cool. And I think, um, as is the case at most publications and just in general, like people are just increasingly educated and engaged and excited about this kind of stuff. And I'm sure, you know, you must see it across the bar all the time. Like people are asking you questions probably that yeah, two absolutely. years ago, like you never would have gotten, right? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, I, that a lot of that comes with, you know, Digging deeper into the history and figuring certain things out that figuring out like different ingredients that you can mm-hmm. make on your own, and then all of a sudden, like mm-hmm. somebody starts producing that like the cure or spirit right. that you couldn't get for a hundred years. Right. So, with with that love of like the classicism of of these cocktails and the history, it only goes so far if you don't have the right equipment mm-hmm. and the right ingredients. But now it's it's just such an exciting time. I I probably talk about it too much, but it's like. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, like... You probably do. Probably. I mean, <laughs> I, I do once weekly radio show. <laughs> I don't write about it. I talk about it. Right. Um, but, um, yeah, I, you know, a lot of times, too, there are certain people who have, uh, like, uh, customers of mine who have come in, and they're, like, making their own, like, syrups mm-hmm. and liqueurs and bitters. And that, to me, is amazing you know people bartend like most bartenders weren't even doing that a few years ago right and then you've got like people are just interested you know like enthusiastic about it um coming into your bar and it's like being, you it's away. like working in hip-hop or something and having everybody like showing you their yeah. mixtapes <laughs> like, everyone comes out to you i mean that's interesting too like you must see like i i, I think I, I mean i think back to maybe like the aha moment that i had with cocktails when i was like yeah, man. Like, I want to know more about this. Um, which I don't know if you want to if you want to hear about yeah, it. I'd but love to. Um, so yeah, I was already sort of interested in writing, you know, stories here and there. But I don't think I was handling it with like quite the right. I didn't have quite the right handle on it. Um, I just sort of thought that it was this kind of like fringy hipster thing that was happening. And you know, this is years ago, obviously. And I just I didn't really think about it in terms of like this like alchemy and this really interesting stuff that was happening so I did a story about I wanted to do like a sort of bartender mafia story this is years ago basically the story that I ended up doing in Time Out New York about um, last spring which was the state of the New York cocktail issue where I like profiled all the different bartenders and I wanted to do this years ago and again there were not a lot of bartenders that were working on this level at the time so we sort of thought it over internally, and we ended up doing this story that was about bartender fashion. <laughs> oh, wait. I think I saw... I'm sure, because it became this like ridiculous point of contention <laughs> for this person, but it was Toby Maloney, who is a yeah. dear, a very dear person, and um, I had him like come in and show off his like his gear, his bag, and his, you know, what he was, shirt stays, and all of that, and that was just sort of the take that we took as how we addressed it at the time, and again, you know, not quite like the right handle on it. 
Um, but he was one of the first people that I met in the scene, seriously. And when I was in Chicago, shortly after that, I called him and I was like, you know, I'm in Chicago. Like, can I come by your bar? And I went right before rehearsal dinner for a wedding, which incidentally was like a like awful idea because I showed up at this rehearsal dinner like completely hammered. But um, he basically, you know, took me to the Violet Hour and just sort of showed me through some things that I had absolutely never encountered before. Never thought about the breadth of what was possible in cocktails. Never thought intellectually about really what was going on in the glass. And he, you know, as you know, has an exceptional palate and is a really skilled guy. And he just, that was really a, a, a turning point for me. Um, and, uh, and yeah. Cool. <laughs> That's... Really do you remember? Do you remember the uh, one of the drinks that you had while you were there? One of the first drinks I had there was a was a New York sour, um, which he did with a instead of the claret snap, he did a, a rosé float, oh, and he cool. served it in like a little um, milk glass, nice. like a diner style milk yeah. glass. And I, when he put it in front of me, and he did that like final flourish, it just it went from looking like milk to looking like strawberry milk. And I was probably like pretty far gone at this point already, but I just had such like a childish whimsical reaction to this like I just thought it was so incredible and beautiful and the color was just cascading down the side of the glass and I was just so you know totally overwhelmed by it and you know since then I hope that you know like I think that I've really honed my understanding of the scene certainly my palette a lot and you know just grown so much and and I've been able to kind of you know put my stamp on it a little bit and I don't know, just like get excited and get to know the people behind it because it's such a fascinating and just rich, rich scene. It is actually. I mean, like it's it's I, it's so deep too nowadays. You know, like right. you, you know, we were talking about uh, before the show about you know tells of the cocktail. Now there's Portland Cocktail Week. There's right. the Manhattan Cocktail Classic. Right. And again, you know, you're seeing people all over the country and all over the world that are just like digging really deep into right. it. And yeah, there was a couple of years ago when. That whole world was getting some bad press because it seemed like a like a Precious fad, or, yeah. yeah. And, and like mm-hmm. even even not just like a fad, like almost like like too exclusive, too cool for anyone else right. to be part of it. You know, which is not true. You know, like well, yeah, every, every it's there. Okay, I mean, it's on its way out of that, but it's the, still. I mean, that's that's a big hurdle, I think, for a lot of people to get into it. I, I think. I mean, yeah, and I think there were a lot of bartenders. A few, a few years ago that, yeah, they probably felt like they were, like, cooler than everyone else because yeah. they knew, you know, how to make... Uh, Ramos! Or, yeah, Ramos Fizz. <laughs> and then it got to a point where they got really bummed out when people would order them because... Right. I'm just like, dude, this was the drink you were pushing a year ago and now you don't want to shake this for 12 minutes. Even well, though you don't really have to shake a Ramos for 12 minutes. Well, to that point, I mean, first of all, just... What I was, just to go back to this sort of Toby, so at that at that juncture, he fed me Chinar for the first time, which I was like disgusted by at the time, and now I've like really grown towards nice. it because it's like I think it's kind of like when you are a hooker who's done everything, like suddenly <laughs> nothing really has like that edge anymore. So like I've tasted so many things that now like you know a drier <laughs> a drier thing like Chinar. Jack, is sort of... I think that's the quote. <laughs> <laughs> I can, you know, I can, I can deal with it now because you know I've I've tasted so much and I and I think that my palate has has tended towards a, a drier angle and so I think has much of New York and to your point about people sort of digging into it like suddenly people have these like fresh interesting palates and like they want to taste funky stuff and yeah. they want to 
you know, they want to like dig into it, which yeah. is so cool. You know, they, this is, this is a city that a few years ago would be completely content with their cosmopolitans and, right. you know, and a lot of them still are sure. You know, it's, yeah. it's not, it's not like it's completely changed mm-hmm. or revolutionized the scene at all, but, uh, it's definitely growing. Right. better. Yeah. And you know, did you, did you were in Chicago? Did you have Molort? No, don't. Don't go there. <laughs> not yet. I'm not yeah. there yet. I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> Teach their own, but that's a big Chicago bitters, and it's. I'll just stop there because some people would be offended. Oh <laughs> if no! I made fun of it. Oh boy. Okay. Well, this is maybe quite I'm a few not years there ago at this point. So yeah. I, you know, I don't know. I mean, honestly, I think that my palate is probably still evolving, and you know, there are things that I just is distasteful to me now that maybe I'll, you know learn to love in the future. I don't know. Yeah. But to your point about, you know, the accessibility of cocktail lounges and cocktails in general, I mean, that's, that's something that's really important to what I do at timeout. Um, like I'm really committed, not just in cocktails, but across the board to like finding access points for my reader who, you know, might be buying timeout for like the music listings, yeah. you know, or, you know, and then they, they get into the food and they're like, whoa, this is cool. Or they buy it, you know, for food and drink. But whatever it is, like, I want people to be, I want to find ways for people to get excited about the stuff that I'm excited about. And that's always really been sort of like a touchstone of what I do and why I do it. Um, and I remember, you know, not too long ago, someone was telling me a story and I'll, I'll leave names out and venues out because I don't want to incriminate anyone. But someone was telling me a story about being at a cocktail bar. And this is actually a guest, not a bartender, but it was a guest who is sort of like a cocktail nerd kind of thing. And the guest, uh, this other guest came in and ordered a Long Island iced tea. And look, like, we all know that's, I mean, way to, like, mark yourself as a noob and have no idea where you are. Like, of course, you know, like, of course, it's like an awful kind of drink. But look, the dude obviously does not know that he's, like, making a faux pas. So just make him feel comfortable or guide him in the direction of something that might, you know, suit... Oh, if you like his... that, you might like this. Exactly, that kind of thing. And that's, like, so important. And that's how you recruit people and get people excited about the cocktail movement, not by making them feel like assholes. And so uh, this guest, you know, was, like, they were, like, mocking him to his face and they were wanted to pour the bar mat out into a cocktail glass and that kind of thing. Oh my God. And, yes, it's all, like, funny banter that we can have behind the scenes and all that. But, like, Let's just be honest and like, look, this is my opinion that, you know, in order for it to really gain traction and stick around, you need bodies like you need people who are going to believe in what we're all doing and, you know, taste the good cocktail and say, I'm not going back to swill now. You know, I've had this experience and now, you know, I'm going to move forward a similar, you know, mirroring like the slow food movement where, you know, once you have a humanely raised, locally raised, you know, piece of pork. You don't want to eat factory farm pork anymore because it doesn't taste good, you know, and you need people, you need warm bodies to make that happen and really like reach the tipping point. And I think that a lot of that has to do with attitude and accessibility and just like making the guests feel comfortable. Absolutely. Absolutely. (laughs) Well put, Jordana. You know what? We're going to take a quick break. And when we get back, I would like to talk a little bit more uh, about the other part of your job as it pertains to the drinks. Let's talk about some food at some of the cocktail bars. All right. Back in a moment.
Today's episode of The Speakeasy was brought to you by White Oak Pastures. White Oak Pastures cattle are raised in a manner that has stood the test of time. It begins with southern sunshine, unpolluted country air, and fertile coastal soil. The cattle are allowed to roam the pastures and graze freely on sweet native grasses all of their lives. For more information, go to whiteoakpastures.com. You know the roof is leaking and the rain is falling through. Drip, drip, drop. And we're back. You're listening to the Speakeasy. In the studio today, we have Jordana Rothman, food and drinks editor at Time Out New York. And we were just talking about the uh, the current state of the New York cocktail scene and. Uh, we left off talking a little bit about food, and I think, I think so many cocktail bars. I mean, first of all, in New York City, it's really hard to get a liquor license without having some sort of food mm-hmm. in your bar, and a lot of these places have like Death and Company, Maya Well, uh, uh, Lonnie Kai. They have amazing food, but they don't really get as much press for it, you know. Mm-hmm. Well, I think. I certainly think, uh, from a principal perspective, like eating is a part of drinking. Well, yeah, like if absolutely. you're if you're drinking smartly, then you're also eating so that you're not you know just a complete mess at the end of the night. So certainly, like I I I love it when a cocktail bar is not just providing some like sponge for the booze, right. but is also actually like putting some attention into it. Um, you know, like that said, I I I think that. You know, I personally don't go to the cocktail bar for dinner, but I love when there's good food there. Yeah. Um, personally, I think like Criff Dogs PT is like the ideal model oh, yeah. because oh, yeah. like, you know, I do want a hot dog. I want a fucking hot dog. Like, yeah. that's those t- like, and the tater tots are yeah. amazing. I want a hot dog and tater tots. And I love like the partnerships that they do with, with chefs. Like they have a, yeah. you know, the Wiley dog and they had like the Van dog when, when, uh, Philip Kirshen Clark was, was still at Van dog. So I love that kind of thing. And, and I agree. I mean, I think. You know, employees only, like Julia Jaksik, you know, is really, really talented. She does some interesting stuff. They're like bone marrow poppers and things like that. And as you say, Death and Company, I mean, I haven't eaten a huge amount at Death and Company, um, but, you know, they hit the marks, you know, like they yeah. have oysters. That's like perfect cocktail food, you know. Yeah. I don't know. How do you feel about like cocktail food pairings? What's your. Well, you know, I think things have changed a lot yeah. over the. Like, well, obviously they have changed a lot over the past few years, but whereas it was kind of an afterthought and a means for getting your liquor license and opening up your bar and mm-hmm. then just going balls to the wall with your with your drinks and kind of leaving the kitchen alone, it just, it's like, it's like having like halogen, like track lighting in like a, like classic bar room, you know, it's like, <laughs> you're just, you're kind of screwing it up. You're like, you're leaving out one like really important uh, right portion of your your establishment like your your lighting mm-hmm. that's really important yeah but don't i to me i feel like it's something that you can utilize right in your establishment i feel like the like the key is that 
you have to cocktail, but like you have to pay attention to how, how people we- use your establishment. And yeah. like if they're primarily using your establishment to like come after dinner and have drinks or, you know, like start their night off with drinks or whatever it may be, give them food, but like don't try to do everything. Just like a restaurant shouldn't it's try like to do small, everything. Small like plates or do it. Yeah. Tea. Like think smartly. How do you eat when you're drinking? Like I feel like there's a tendency to kind of like no one wants a steak. Yeah, yeah, exactly. (laughs) No, you want like steak tartare, maybe. Right. I mean, and then you know the cocktail and food pairing thing. Like, I'm still on the fence about it. Like, there's a place, there's the Beagle in the East Village Mm -hmm. that I I I think they do excellent cocktails, and I love their style of food. I just think it's really sweet and just really charming, and you know, I just I really like it there. But they do these pairing boards, which are like a little bit of food and like you know either like maybe some sherry or whatever it may be, and like doesn't quite coalesce for me because it's just it's so high proof it's like it just obliterates you know a a cocktail just kind of robs the nuance of the food a little bit but like there are some pairings that make sense i think yeah i mean well you think about like mexican food and like Mm -hmm. tequila drinks like my well you know with like mezcal and tequila they do i mean they pair really well Mm -hmm. together you think like even before like we're saying like lani kai you know polynesian food Mm -hmm. with uh, polynesian and tiki drinks works so well and you know you get a poo-poo platter right it's communal you're not eating a whole lot and it's small bites you know right. so it just and i sense. think i think that works really well and i also think you know the places that you mentioned like you know my well you know does it super super well like they do snacks they do things that people want to eat when they're drinking you know tequila and mezcal on the other hand you know lani kai I also think they do it, so I love a poo-poo platter. And also, you know, they do have a bit of, like, a dinner, like, earlier crowd. And they, yeah. you know, they invested in that. They got themselves a new chef, which is, I think, very smart for the neighborhood, you know? I think it's always very important that you not just sort of open a cocktail bar or any kind of bar, any venue, for that matter, that just, you know, hits certain notes and follows, like, a certain formula, but that you actually pay attention to your kind of clientele what you want out of your clientele, like where you want to sort of bring them on the journey of your place and where you are, what you're providing for the neighborhood, all of that. Like that's very, I think the best places, the places that last, like really take that to heart. Yeah. 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 Well, for instance, uh, what we were talking about on the break, um, mm-hmm. you know, the bourgeois pick Brooklyn, mm-hmm. small place, they're doing small plates and they're like keeping it really neighborhood. Yeah. They've got, you know, fondue uh, mm-hmm. and like charcuterie and some raw bar stuff. And it's kind of like, it's like, it's the right kind of food. Yeah. And also, like, they're doing Fernet bottle service, which is great. <laughs> which love. So that's really yeah. taking care of the, uh, the neighborhood, like, I mean, industry folk after work. <laughs> the Bourgeois Pig, I've, I've actually only come by for um, for family and friends, but I'm really excited about it. Not the least of which because I actually live, like, two blocks away from there. Right. But um, Frankie, first of all, is, like, a completely lovely person, but he's a real thinker, you know, like I think he represents a part of this industry that is super exciting because again, he's not just hitting these like benchmark notes. He really understands how to like massage a cocktail list and really, I mean that, you know, he did, he does like a sort of continental spirits and like he does a really interesting take on a Mai Tai that I can just see the work. Like I can see the ditch digging and what he's done and I can just see, like I can, imagine him like testing and testing and tasting and all of that and it really comes through in what he does and I think that's so special like you know and 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 it's the same thing at, at prime meats and you know with what you do like I Thanks. what was the um the was it four horsemen that drink oh I no, <laughs> I no? there I, was a drink that was well what was it oh, what gosh, did it have no. in it 
well, now I'm totally blanking on it, but, you know, but I think my point is, is that when you can spot that finesse and it's really about as much about matching the vibe of the place and really like hinging on some like thematic richness, you know, like Frankie is doing that really well at Bourgeois Pig. And I just, you know, I love to see that. I love to see a place that isn't just sort of like cranking out Sazeracs and, you know, Manhattan. Not that there's anything wrong with those drinks. They're fantastic. But yeah. I think the next level for us is to kind of put that personal mark on it, you know, put a thematic mark on it, do something that, you know, really has an identity and is idiosyncratic and personal. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, And, you know, with that being said, with those classics, you know, and obviously we want to be inventive and Mm -hmm. innovative. Um, But it's, it's, you know, with so many cocktail bars opening up, there aren't enough bartenders that know what they're doing to like fill them up yeah so you've got a lot a lot of like like newbies mm-hmm. and that's great it's cool that they're uh that there are platforms for them to stand on you mm-hmm. know and and work these kinds of cocktails but really what happens with those like when you say about like the sazerac or an old fashioned mm-hmm. there's so many people out there who don't know how to make just the classics you sure know, i mean really... it's like the mother sauces yeah exactly yeah so it takes you know you can't just like overnight become, you know, like the greatest mixologist. Mm-hmm. And, you know, with Frankie, you know, he's been doing it for a really long time. And he's a sommelier. And he's also a certified sommelier. Yeah. yeah. Totally. So, um, yeah, he's, he's, he's a super taster, as they call it. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, I think that, I, I mean, I agree. And I think that another, the cocktail business, the or rather revivalist cocktail business is very, I sort of, I want to say young, although that seems like, not the right thing to say, given that it is so ancient, but because of prohibition, like we lost so much yeah. of the culture. It was, we exported so much of the culture and so much of the talent and it's really just rebuilding. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, of course, like starting with Dale DeGroff and up through the present, you know, with all of the, the new faces and, you know, I think that a big part of the future with regards to like sort of teaching those classics and making sure is, is sort of like building, you know, just like kitchens have an apprenticeship sort of Mm -hmm. system where, you know, people are actually taking the time to learn the basics before and be educated before they sort of go off the bar back. (laughs) Right. Well, I did, uh, the beverage alcohol resource, um, last fall, which was really interesting. You did the the five day one, right? I did. (laughs) I did. Yeah. It was really, it was, gosh, it was, it was really interesting. Like, you know, I tend to think in terms of like the final product, like the cocktail, but this is, you know, obviously just about the spirits and distillation and just like this ancient stuff, like this ancient, you know, and (laughs) like, I, I think it's really fascinating how they managed to sort of like codify this information like when I became a food writer no one sat me down and was like here's how you taste food and like here are flavors to look for in food like it just sort of you know it became I built off of my experience of of eating whatever the hell like growing up you know and like just slowly like ate and tasted and tasted more and was able to kind of like build this Rolodex of flavor in my mind and I think at whether you do it at bar, whether you just do it because you're a taster, you know, whatever it is, like you think that's something that you do. You sort of like build this like this codified structure. That of, was that, that was Steve Olson saying that, right? I don't know if he said that, but when I went, I didn't do the five day, but I did the uh, the one day. But mm-hmm. he was talking about basically like imagining like a giant spreadsheet, right? Or like a like a uh, 
in a way like you like a giant flow chart of flavors and connecting them together and you know like you were saying you know with 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 taking all those spirits into consideration you taste through like it was like 180 different spirits over five days or something so, like that. I think like more, more? Like, so, like something insane <laughs> like that. It was just so Jesus. It was like palate fatigue by the middle of the week. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it's intense, man. It's like 12 hours a day. Yeah. It's crazy. And yeah. And like the cool thing about that though, is like you were saying, you like keeping that in your, the flavor profiles in your Rolodex for mm-hmm. these different spirits is like that really, it, it's so important for command with the cocktail. Mm-hmm. Like there was a, uh, Tanqueray event that Brian Miller, held last year and they took Tanqueray, Beefeater, and Plymouth, which are the typical, like, that's the big three of, like, cocktail bars, Mm -hmm. and made you know, a round of drinks with those three Mm -hmm. like, they did three like, last words, and three gimlets, three uh, martinis, three French 75s, you know, each with a different gin, and it's so Did you taste them blind? Yeah. 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 And it was crazy. I mean, like, but I, I had done all the tasting, like, when mm-hmm. I was working at Linnell's. So I had that already in my Rolodex, you know? So I got most of them right. <laughs> but mm-hmm. it was really amazing to see how, like, you know, with even with Plymouth, it's like the smooth gin. Right. It was actually hot in some of the drinks, like mm-hmm. in the uh, Negroni, for one. And then the beef eater, which you would think was going to be, like, the biggest one, right. was really smooth. Well, removing, like, the, you know, brand loyalty is so important i mean blind tasting is so incredibly important i mean when you just like when you taste things side by side you get to sense the nuance of all of them and you also just get a sense of like what instinctually your palate likes yeah you know like of course we all you know think about plymouth and you know beef and tanqueray but taste them blind you know decide for yourself really really what works for you absolutely then you know what to call for i mean it's fascinating like things that i thought you know i would love you know, when you taste them blind, they're just gluey and yeah. chewy and, you know, weird and just not, just not tight, you know? It's a fascinating program. I mean, like, there was a kid that was, so there was a kid in our bar program who was, um, like a beverage director for TGI Fridays. And I was like, or something like, like chili, like one of those. And I was like, dude, you are the most important person in the room. Cause all these, this is like the choir and he's the guy that's going to like take it out. Yeah. Of like the nerdy cocktail circles and like, I don't know, maybe change the beverage program at TGI Fridays or something like that's crazy. That's that awesome. guy's important, right? Yeah, like totally. think about it in those terms of like exporting the good gospel and then, you yeah. know, you've got something. That's awesome. Yeah. Anything uh, that you're excited about coming up in the new year? Any new openings or places that have opened? Well, I'm really, I, I've heard some rumblings about um, Dave Arnold. Um, and some he has maybe it's called Dax and Booker or something. He's doing like a, a I mean, I'm just, I'm, I feel like I'm talking from Twitter right now, but there's, <laughs> there's some rumblings of like something like that. And I don't know if anything like that. that. It's you know, true. Dave Arnold has this like, <laughs> Jack just confirmed that she <laughs> doesn't ever have okay, good. On. Yeah, no, I, 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 I'm sure from the back of my head that's a, so he's, you know, obviously been a part of the cocktail business in an interesting way for several years i mean he does his hot poker things and he's really into like breaking down the science of drinks and all that so i'm really interested to see what he could bring to it on an official level like day ronald is you know does not bullshit like he does not you know like care about like what things are supposed what's good or bad like he just wants he's down to like the sort of nitty-gritty 
scientific. This is how this works. And this is maybe why you like it and why, you know, he's just, uh, have you seen any of his like, Oh yeah. Proto-vap I, demonstrations. And so like totally absolutely. fascinating. Yeah. I had, I had the, uh, the pleasure of working an event with him at the uh, museum of food and drink uh, fundraiser. And oh yeah. It was just sure. Amazing experience. Yeah. Amazing guy. I mean, I want to see that come to fruition. That's really the museum of food and drink will be incredibly. I mean, I could see it being, I could see it being something that becomes, you know, like a real, I don't know, like a Smithsonian for, for our, for our culture in New York. I don't know. I would love to see that come to fruition. I would love there to be like a tangible part of it, like a cocktail, a cocktail bar or restaurant that serves incredible cocktails and just like not only, uh, gathers the history of food and drink in new york but but can contributes to it as well absolutely yeah well jordana thank you so much for coming on to the show today thank um, you you're lovely i always have a great time when i see you we always have a great conversation and you'll have to come back sometime <laughs> i would love to thank you very much awesome all right that's it for the speakeasy today tune in next week where my guest will be nicholas jarrett and we're going to taste some vintage spirits next to the modern version it should be really interesting tune in we'll see you then cheers thanks for listening to this program on the heritage radio network you can find all of our archived programs on heritageradionetwork.com as well as a schedule of upcoming live shows you can also podcast all of our programs on iTunes by searching Heritage Radio Network in the iTunes store. You can find us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter for up-to-date news and information. Thanks for listening.